they come, they're suited, they're booted, they take their ministry seriously, and we're very thankful uh, for what they do, and it's a blessing to serve God with them. Let's turn to Acts chapter 2. We want to read verse 25 to verse 33. Now, I'm going to quote in my introduction here the book of Enoch. Now, this is not scripture, and therefore you can take it or leave it. But I quote it as a Christian writing. In it is a vision of part of the underworld, a place that angels that had disobeyed and left their place were imprisoned, and he saw it as a burning valley. And I saw a deep abyss with columns of heavenly fire, and among them I saw columns of fire fall which were beyond measure alike towards the height and towards the depth. And beyond that abyss I saw a place which had no firmament of the heaven above and no firmly founded earth beneath it. There was no water upon it and no birds, but it was a waste and a horrible place. Dante in his poem, Divine Comedy, talked about passing through the gates of hell which bore the inscription above the gate, Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. Dante and his guide Virgil heard the anguish screams of the uncommitted. We go to the Old Testament and we read about the pit. Korah has rebelled against Moses and the Bible says the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the men with Korah with all their goods. So they and all those with them went down alive into the pit. The earth closed over them. That word pit is the Hebrew word sheol. It's a place that was used, it was a word that was used throughout the Old Testament to to describe the grave, the state of the dead, hell, or as we've just read, the pit. Now in our text, Peter is going to mention this place. He's going to quote from Psalm Psalm 16 where the word Sheol is found. And uh, in Psalm 16, this is where he's quoting from. It says, my flesh also will rest in hope for you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Now, as the New Testament is written in Greek, the word Hades is inserted there and used to describe this place. You will not leave my soul in Hades. This is describing and speaking of our Lord and Savior. You will not leave my soul in Sheol. You will not leave my soul in Hades. So I want to preach about when Jesus went to the underworld from Acts chapter 2, verse 25 to verse 33. If you're tuning in tonight, and I know you've had a hard day's work, and, and uh, you've come in and you're like, oh, Lord, I, I, I pray uh, that you would grab that coffee, concentrate your mind, And may God inspire and speak to you and bring revelation to you from our text. For David says concerning him that I foresaw the Lord always before my face, 
for he's at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope for you shall not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would rise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Now, before we get into our text, perhaps I can give a little uh, uh, background or perhaps a description of terms that are used in the Bible to describe the other side. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew, written in Hebrew, the word, as I've already said, was the word Sheol. This word was used to describe the state of the dead, the grave, hell, the pit. And so it could well be said that the good and also the bad could be said to be going to Sheol. They all went to Sheol. They all went uh, to the grave. They all went to the state of death. And in Sheol, we're going to examine this a little bit later. The Bible's going to teach us that there was two compartments uh, uh, that separated the righteous from the wicked. So in the Old Testament, uh, in the Hebrew, we have Sheol, which, which uh, both the good and the bad go to or went to and uh, uh, were separated there in Sheol. We now come to the New Testament, perhaps, written in Greek, and there are four words that we want to examine briefly that unfold some of the mysteries of this underworld. The first is the word Gehenna. This comes from the Hebrew, the Valley of Hinnom. Now, Gehenna, the Valley of Hinnom, was an ill-omened valley. It was well, it was deep and a narrow ravine with steep rocky sides to the south and the west of Jerusalem. Another name for it was Tophet. From the southern brow which overlooked the valley on its eastern extremity, Solomon had erected high places to the god Molech from which babies and little children were sacrificed. King Josiah later would put an end to this abomination by spreading human bones and filth over this place, thus rendering it to the Jewish mind unclean. It was going to become the cesspool of the city. Some commentators go to say that never-ending fires were kept burning in this valley, and so 
to the picture in the Jewish mind, Gehenna, Gehenna, uh, the valley of Himnon, conjured up the image or the very picture of hell, unclean, vile, polluted, uh, fire, a cesspool. Jesus is going to use that term when He said in Matthew 5.29, if your right eye causes you to sin, Pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into Gehenna or hell. The second word that we find in the Greek is the word Hades. We have Gehenna, we have Hades. Now, Hades is the Greek equivalent. The first is a picture of hell, Gehenna. The word Hades uh, is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word Sheol. The Greeks would use Hades to describe the same place. It's used 11 times in the New Testament. Sheol was used 65 times in the Old Testament. Now, Jesus is going to describe Hades... Uh, this place, hell, pit, uh, all of these places, place of the dead, he's going to describe it in Luke 23 as having two, com- two compartments uh, throughout uh, the Old Testament until after his ascension. Luke 16, 19, 23, you know the story. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So we see this place of the dead, Hades, Sheol. There was two separate compartments that was divided by an impassable gap. Uh, uh, Abraham is going to say, and besides all of this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those there pass to us. On one side was a place of conscious torment. The other side, sometimes called Abraham's bosom or paradise. Remember Jesus said to the believing thief, today you will be with me in paradise. Sheol, Hades, place of torment, place of the righteous called Abraham's bosom or paradise. And before Jesus' death, a resurrection and ascension, everyone went to Sheol, the place of the grave, the pit, Hades, uh, 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 all went to this place and then were separated, the righteous and the unrighteous there. Now, there's another term as we move through this evening is the term abyssos or the abyss or the bottomless pit. 
we're talking about an underworld prison. You will remember the devils, the demons were terrified of being sent there. In Luke 8, they begged him. When he cast them out of legion, they begged him, don't send us to the abyss. Please don't send us to the abyss. This term suggests an immeasurable depth somewhere in the underworld. Nine times that's used in the New Testament. Paul intimates that the the Lord himself even visited this dreaded place. In Romans 10, when it's talking about how do we get Christ and his sacrifice where we're at. It says, uh, will we ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or will we ascend? Who will ascend into the abyss? That is bring up Christ uh, from the dead. And then it goes on to say, neither. It's the word is in your mouth. uh, And you bring the power of the sacrifice of Christ uh, through your words and through your confession. But anyway, uh, the point being is this this abyss uh, in in the great tribulation period, the Bible tells us that countless hordes of these terrifying locust-like evil spirits are released from this place to torment the ungodly. Revelations 9, 1 to 11. Then the fifth angel sounded and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power, goes on to say, and they were not given authority to kill them but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion and it then goes on to say they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon and in Greek he has the name Apollyon. So are you with me so far? We have Sheol. This is the Hebrew. In the Greek we have Gehenai, the picture of hell. We have Hades, which is the same as Sheol. We have another place called the abyss or the bottomless pit, an underground, an underworld prison. And the fourth word is found only once in 2 Peter 2.4 to describe another prison house for certain fallen angels called Tartarus. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 to 5, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, the Greek word tartaru, and delivered them into the chains of darkness, literally pits of darkness, dark dungeons or silos to be reserved for judgment. Now these incarcerated spirits that Peter had in mind are possibly the same ones mentioned in Jude 6 that talks about the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode. He is reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Now, some commentators tie these scriptures in and say they refer to the dawn of human history to a mysterious account that's found in Genesis 6. Fallen angels that have been described as the sons of God are sleeping with women. 
They're producing giants or the Nephilim. These hybrid uh, offspring are instigators of great rebellion and awfulness uh, and lawlessness in this antediluvian world, uh, this pre-flood world. The Bible says in Genesis 6, 1 to 8, Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose chose. And the Lord said, my spirit will not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the, on the earth in those days, and also afterwards when the Son of God, sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. It goes on to say, God is sorry that he made mankind this abomination, this, uh, 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 this wicked transition of angels leaving what was natural unto them, and uh, 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 only Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and it is intimated that these spirits, these rebellious spirits were put in this place, this, these pits of darkness, uh, chains of darkness, in the place called Tartarus, and then closing, we have the lake of fire, and this is not Hades, it is a place uh, of torment for the wicked dead. Uh, Hades is the place of torment for the wicked dead, or this part of, uh, this is uh, the lake of fire that those that are in the uh, 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 wicked place in Hades. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up their dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, what we've done this evening, and I know this is a, it's, it's fairly heavy, but we're talking about another world. We're talking about the other side now. Now, Jesus died, and we're going to consider where he went when he died. John MacArthur says, Peter's argument from Psalm 16 can be summarized as follows. The psalm speaks of a resurrection. Since David, however, could not be, was not resurrected, it cannot speak of him. Thus, David speaks in the psalm of the Messiah. Hence, the Messiah will rise from the dead, Peter now delivers his powerful conclusion. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses, the argument is conclusive. Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. When David was speaking of this psalm and prophesying, he was looking to the future and he was speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. 
He might not have understood all of that when he was writing and speaking this psalm, but he was prophesying as a prophet, and he was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. Another translation says, seeing this in advance, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not left in Hades and his flesh did not experience decay. Now part of the Apostles' Creed that some of you may have repeated in various churches of your upbringing, it says these words, he was crucified, speaking of Jesus, died and was buried. He descended into hell the third day he rose again from the dead. So we're going to examine that tonight. We're going to examine Jesus in Hades, the place of the dead. Between his death and resurrection and ascension, where did he go? What did he do? John Phillips said these words, when Jesus died on the cross, he commended his spirit to the care and the keeping of his father, Luke 23:46. His body was embalmed and went into Joseph's, Joseph's tomb pending his resurrection. His soul went to paradise and the underworld, Luke 23:43. Three days later, his body, soul, and spirit were united in his resurrection. Now, as we go through this message, there are certain passages that we're going to examine that involve much debate. Now, the main bone of contention is probably 1 Peter 3, uh, uh, 18 to 21. It says, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, uh, by whom he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. Now just to give you a little idea, that one verse, if you go to the pulpit commentary, there are 24 different authors all with various opinions about this verse. So, without being dogmatic, I want to make the case that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, after he had died, went firstly to paradise, Abraham's bosom, the section of Hades or Sheol that was the section of the righteous, with the intent on his ascension to empty this sphere of righteous souls and to take them to heaven with him. I want to declare to you, I believe that paradise is now empty. Those that die now, those who die righteous in Christ, don't go to Abraham's bosom. They don't go to paradise, but rather they go straight into the very presence of God and to heaven. Jesus is not in paradise now. Jesus is not in Abraham's bosom, but he is now at the right hand of the Father. And Paul said in Philippians 1.23, I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. I want to make the case that Jesus firstly went to paradise. 
Abraham's bosom, the place of the righteous souls. And then secondly, he visited the imprisoned angels and spirits and preached to them, not the gospel, but a declaration, a proclamation from the King of Kings. So let's consider these thoughts together. Jesus on the other side. Verse 31 says, He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor his flesh, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we're all witnesses. His soul was not left in Hades. It was not left in Sheol. By his own testimony, when Jesus was dying, he spoke to a thief who confessed his sins. He said, today, son, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus clearly went to Hades, went to Sheol, to the part of that place that was known as paradise. He also went to the prison of the fallen angels who will descend into heaven, that is, bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. The intimacy there is at some point Christ went to the abyss. These dark pits uh, uh, spoken of in Second Peter, not this abyss, but another prison, was, was for one set of angels that had fallen, if you like, twice. They fell with Satan. One third of them were cast out of heaven. Now a group of them are going to fall even further by going after strange flesh, leaving their domain, their ordinary course for their own nature, and they were going to bring contaminated seed amongst human population that only a flood could resolve. A flood was going to wipe out humanity barring eight souls. And these angels of wicked abomination were thrown into this prison and uh, uh, incarcerated. And it was to them also that Jesus went to declare his victory and their judgment. Others uh, uh, in the abyss were going to be released later on for a period. But it seems to me that he uh, went to both places declaring uh, his victory. 1 Peter 3:18 to 21 being put to death in the flesh but made alive by the spirit by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few that is eight souls were saved through water he went to Jesus to paradise. He went uh, possibly to the abyss, uh, certainly uh, to the places of prisons uh, where spirits uh, were imprisoned for a, either a time or forever until their judgment. Uh, but he went there uh, and preached. Uh, then, uh, uh, coming back to paradise perhaps, uh, this place clearly wonderful, clearly peaceful, clearly described as Abraham's bosom, but yet still kind of like house arrest. It can be a, it can be a, a, a place of comfort, but still captive. See, death and sin had not been conquered yet. 
The blood of lambs, the righteousness of men could not deliver them out of this place. Death, the lambs had been shed, blood, faith had been put in, which caused these to go to this place because they had faith in blood. But the blood of lambs can't cause a man to be free to go to heaven. The blood of lambs is not enough to conquer death forever. It took the blood of Jesus to free these souls. It took the blood of Christ to set these righteous souls and to take them to heaven. For each of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Ephesians 4, 7 to 10. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. He took captivity captive. This is a body of captives. When he ascended on high, he took many captives. Now, one commentator says it's best interpreted by Colossians 2.15. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. And the picture of Christ is him risen from the dead, ascending, and in his train and trail is captivity's captives, defeated powers of the enemy, and amongst them a group of people that once were captive, if you like, in this heavenly, uh, uh, in this Abraham's bosom, now set free and uh, uh, on their way to heaven. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way, which he consecrated for us. Stephen is being stoned. He's full of the Holy Ghost in Acts 7. He saw the glory of God and Jesus, who's no longer in paradise, but standing at the right hand of God and said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And as they stoned Stephen, he was calling on God saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit because now those who believe go straight into the very presence of God, receive my spirit, Lord, into his very presence. That means for us great victory. I bring this to a close. Our text says, he foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. He conquered the grave. He conquered death. He conquered Hades. He conquered the grave. Now, if Christ is preached that he's been raised from the dead, how do some of among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to 13 goes on to say in verse chapter 15 verse 20 to 27 but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep 
For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For in Adam all die. Even so in Christ all will be made alive, but each one in his own order. Christ the first fruits. Afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Oh, when Jesus died and uh, uh, went to the underworld, he didn't, he preached to the spirits in prison. He didn't preach the gospel. The word used in 1 Peter 3.19 is uh, the Greek word uh, uh, kariso, meaning to proclaim, to preach. Often means it's a declaration. It doesn't say he preached the gospel. We put those words in there. He declared, oh, Jesus stood in the middle of darkness, in the middle of death, and Hades, looking at demon spirits in prison, and he declared, I am the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and through my death and blood, mankind has been redeemed. Through my blood, uh, sin has been paid for the full price has been paid. It's like stamped on man's invoice for his sin, fully paid. Death is now defeated. He declared in the darkness and in the underworld that death can no longer hold believers. Death can no longer hold the righteous because through his resurrection, the first fruits and many following behind because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And it is true that we have to pass, many will pass through this valley, the valley of death. It is the final consequence of our sin as warned by God. But that sting has gone. There is no more power to hold us anymore in any place. But, uh, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, our text says, and I'm bringing this to a close, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in. You will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Believers are welcomed into the very presence of God. We are confident, yes, 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it was not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. 
And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, to a thief dying on the cross, he had nothing but his sin, but he put faith in the Lord. He said, remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus turned and said to that young man, son, today you'll be with me in paradise. But that thief's not in paradise anymore. He's been taken when the Lord ascended into the very heavens in the very presence of God, our Father. You see, tonight there's an offer that's made to you that if you will believe upon Jesus Christ and his blood, if you will turn from your sins and put faith in the sacrifice that was made, it has power. It has power to cleanse you of your sins. It has power to defeat death. It has power to defeat Hades. It causes any man or any woman who would believe. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's why Colossians says, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. C.S. Lewis said, in the truest sense, Christian pilgrims have the best of both worlds. We have joy whenever this world reminds us of the next, and we take solace whenever it does not. John 3.35, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Billy Graham said, the moment we take our last breath on earth, we take our first in heaven. Jesus said this, he said it this way, enter into the joy of the Lord. Jesus has made a way, risen from the dead, blood shed, so that the souls of men, people, ordinary people, sinners, can be made righteous. Through Jesus Christ can conquer death, through Jesus Christ can live forever with him in a place that he prepares of which he says is joy. What are you going to choose tonight? Put your faith in Christ and don't be anxious. Put your faith in his power to save because he has risen from the dead and he desires none would perish. Let's bow our heads together. I ask you in your homes to bow your heads and I would ask you, about the state of your soul tonight. A man cannot free himself. A man cannot earn his way out of Hades, out of the grave. He can't do enough to make heaven his home. We are fallen. We have a nature within us. We are born sinners, the Bible says. We're lost. 
But this is the gospel. This is the good news that Jesus has made a way for anyone. And you are watching tonight. And I'm speaking to you, sir. I'm speaking to you, young lady, ma'am, who, whoever you are. If you're watching this and you're not a believer, if you put your faith in Christ, I'd love you to come to our church, Potter's House, 366 Leebridge Road, Leighton, London. We would love you to come and join with us if you don't have a church home and you live locally. But this is not a church drive. You may never come to our church. I'm talking to you about your soul. And I'm saying that Jesus has made a way for you to live forever with him. And you say, I want that. I want to turn from the way I'm living. I want to repent of my sins. If you do, I want you to pray with me. And if you're in this building, maybe you put your hand up and say, I need to pray that prayer. I once believed in God, but I've fallen by the wayside. I'm, I'm not right with God. I know how I'm living is not right. I have no assurance that if I died, I would, my next breath would be in heaven. I, I'm not sure. I kind of worry that my next breath may still be in Hades. And oh God, save me. Remember me. I believe in your sacrifice. I accept it, God. I, I want to live for you. I, I can't earn it. I, I receive it. That love, that forgiveness, that you would have, have gone to such lengths to die for me so I could live forever. Believe on him and live. Believe on him and, and be forgiven. Believe on Jesus and have your sins washed away. You say, how, how could he wash away my sin? It's too deep. It's too bad. His blood was shed for you. Believe. Say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sin. I believe you died in my place rose again from the dead that I could have everlasting life. I want to turn from the way I'm living. I want to commit my soul and my life into your hands. Lord Jesus, come inside my heart by your spirit and with your love. I want to believe to become your child. I trust you that anyone that comes to you will not be ashamed that anyone that comes to you, you will no means cast out. That anyone that comes to you broken can find everlasting life. We don't earn this. God loves us tonight. Oh, let us stand together. I want to encourage you to, for just a moment, you're at home. We're going to worship our King. Sometimes it's good to remember the, the other life. It's good to remember eternity and what a wonderful Savior we have. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead so he could conquer the grave. We don't have to fear it. We don't have to fear it. One breath, last breath, and breath in heaven. Jesus made a way. made a way. Thank you, Lord.
Hallelujah, hallelujah. Karima mando korinda manda. You're at home. Why don't you worship your Savior? Why don't you thank Him? Oh, God. Thank you for the blood. Thank you, Lord. Marima mama 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 mando korinde. Marima sarararadiarandai. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is more. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. So Jesus paid it all. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Oh, 
I don't know how you are at home tonight, but there's a real sense here, I think, of our Savior, of just how in His hands we are. Just can't save yourself. It's His hands that keep us. No man can take us out of His hand. He saves us to the uttermost. Goes right down to the bottom and picks us right up to the top. In services like this, you don't know when to end. For me, I'm up here. I don't know how these, but you kind of feel the presence of God and maybe at home, I, I don't know how you are. But I want to tell you, we serve an incredible Savior who loves us, cares for us, and uh, may God use us for his glory. May, us, may we reach others and may the blessing of God, may his praise be upon our lips. I encourage you to be a worshiper. I encourage you to learn to worship, uh, to learn to, Holy Spirit, teach us this garment of praise that we would worship I love that line, the angels roar. They, what a Savior. There's a song, isn't it, that says, what a Savior? I don't know. What a Savior. What a Savior. Amen. God bless you tonight. I pray God has blessed you, strengthened you. Let's go and, and serve him with all of our hearts. Amen. Father, thank you. We give you the glory. Amen. Praise God. Good night.